Hi, this is Kelsey Cooper, and I'm the host for Disabled Birth Stories podcast. I hope those in the disabled community can enjoy these stories of bringing beautiful babies into the world and the journey along the way. I hope this podcast helps you feel seen, heard, empowered, and capable, no matter your journey to being a parent. I hope those who are able-bodied would listen to empathize with and support their disabled family member, friend, acquaintance, or random stranger. Thank you for listening and feel free to email me if you have any questions or would like to be featured on the podcast at disabledbirthstories at gmail.com. Thanks for joining us today. After listening to this episode, please remember to rate and review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Please also check the description for our social media links and the link to our merch store. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and is not intended as medical advice. Please consult your medical providers for all of your healthcare needs. Also, the views and opinions expressed by the guests are not necessarily the views and opinions of the host and vice versa. Hi, this is Kelsey Cooper, your host with Disabled Birth Stories. I'm back with Jessica, and she's going to tell us her second story. Jessica, can you recap who you are to the listeners? Yes, my name is Jessica Taylor Behrman. I am an author and a disabled mum of two. I have a four-year-old daughter called Felicity and a 10-month-old baby called Rupert. And we're going to go with Rupert's story today. Can you give us a recap on your disability? For those who didn't get to your first story yet? Yes, of course. So I suffer with myalgic encephalomyelitis. In the States, it can be known as chronic fatigue syndrome. It has affected me in many ways. I've been ill as a since a 15-year-old and I spent 12 years stuck in one room, um, not being able to leave my bed at all. And I then got osteoporosis from that as well. And yeah, my journey has been a long, <laughs> sort of winding ones are getting a little bit better, a little bit more stable, but I use a wheelchair to get around now. The gap between your first and your second and then becoming pregnant, what was that like? So I have to say I found the second pregnancy a lot harder, a lot harder. I, I suffered with hyperemesis from like four weeks in for a long time and I was very, very unwell with it. And the difference was I had hyperemesis with my first, but it wasn't quite as bad and it started a bit later. But when you have a, another child, you can't just lie there and sort of recover. And so me, I was being sick all night and then into the day as well. So it came to the day, I was just shattered the whole time. I couldn't sleep. My condition means I get quite a lot of insomnia. I get into a lot of pain situations. And obviously I had to come off a lot of medication. In a way, I like the age gap. Um, So there's three and a half years difference between my two. But at the same time, I found it quite a whirlwind. I guess my son hasn't actually been that well. He's been admitted to hospital like eight times in the 10 months that he's been born so I think that probably was part of why it's just felt very chaotic he was a completely different baby as well like I had no problems with movement at all I could feed him all the time so in my head I just had the fact that he was going to be okay and it wasn't going to be a repeat of my daughter who ended up in NICU and struggling but I was suffering with extreme pain. I couldn't move from one side to the other. Like I was in absolute agony. 
and I would go to the doctors and be like, I really need a lot of pain. They wouldn't do anything at all. I was at a different hospital now. So that was part of the issue. And I think also post pandemic, everything was a lot more chaotic. So I was going all the time saying, I just can't cope with this pain. It's too much. I can't deal with it. And I had a planned C-section at 38 weeks in the end with him. But the difficulty was, unfortunately, with that birth, he wasn't very well. And so it was hard. I found it really difficult because in my head, he was going to be okay. He was fine because I'd felt him move the whole of the pregnancy. Like I'd always, I could see him moving. He was always moving in the pit, in the scans and everything. But unfortunately, I had polyhydramus and they didn't recognize it. So polyhydramus is an increase in fluid. So I had two liters too much fluid in my in my um, tummy. So he was born unable to breathe because obviously when you have a vaginal birth, some of that fluid will be pushed out. I wasn't well enough to have one of them, and obviously, so when he came out, he was he was just full of fluid. Um, his lungs were full of fluid, so he couldn't really breathe. It was very, very traumatic. I struggled with it because he was taken to NICU as well, but my husband wasn't allowed to go with him, and I was on my own, and it was just really, I guess in my mind, it just hadn't even contemplated that I might be going back to NICU because NICU is an incredible place. But it's scary as well because, you know, I think, like, the nurses will, will, will always say to me, you're, you're like, the closest place to heaven. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Because you've got babies who are, like, clinging on to life and they're incredible, but they are fragile and they are vulnerable. And so, yeah, so it was, it was a real challenge. But from an accessibility point of view, it was hard because they tried to sort of treat me in a way that, they were trying to be inclusive of my disability, but they actually, with the lack of communication within the whole team, they actually, I wasn't allowed to. Um, so so when Rupert was well enough to come out and nick you, um, he should have gone on to transitional ward. I knew the drill. I knew what I was doing. They wouldn't let me on the ward to be with him because of my disability, because they were saying that if I were to fall, they couldn't get me up, so they wouldn't let me in there. So I ended up being another 24 hours without him, which was really tough and really tough when you are in that fragile stage of just having had a baby. Anyway, like emotionally, you're in a really challenging place. And also when you have another child at home that you're missing and you want, then I found that really hard. So it wasn't quite the positive birth as like Felicity my firstborn that was a overwhelmingly positive experience in the end do you know what I mean whereas mm -hmm. Rupert it really wasn't um it it felt quite hard work I mean I adapted to like the disability wasn't the issue it was the way people dealt with it mm -hmm. so you know just because I was in a wheelchair or that I needed a wheelchair did not mean that I couldn't parent or I couldn't do everything else. It was people's preconceptions and just not 
knowing enough about sort of the fact that the issues I would have, like knowing that I would absolutely be fine with them having a mobile voice. I didn't need one that went to the floor. And all those kind of things, there was none of that communication. And they just, it was almost like a subject they didn't really want to talk about. So it, it was it was a lot harder that time around. Like I didn't feel like I had the same support because with Felicity, I had the same obstetrician the whole time through, you know, and it was always like he knew he knew my body, you know, he knew when I'd had enough weight, he knew when my body couldn't manage it anymore. And this one was a fight from the beginning. Like it was it was really hard work. So it was a different obstetrician for... Yeah, yeah. It was a completely different hospital. So in the UK, you go to your nearest hospital. When I was pregnant with Felicity, I lived in Kent. And the hospital that I was near was incredibly good. It had a very good sort of postnatal, prenatal department. They were really one of the top in the country. I moved to Essex, which is the next county up. And obviously I couldn't go back to that hospital. I had to go to the hospital in Essex. And that, they just didn't have the knowledge or the, they just didn't communicate. They didn't communicate anything across. And, and uh, you know, I, after I'd had him and he had been whisked off to NICU, I was alone. And as I say, just in shock because I really wasn't expecting it to happen as it did. And then they said to me, and this thing, you know, we do, oh, wow, wow. I have so much I want to say to you, but it was, you must have been in so much pain. I'm not seeing that much fluid. And I had been telling them for weeks and weeks and weeks that the pain level was extreme and they just didn't listen. You know, I think like one of the conditions I have is as well is sort of, I have a fibromyalgia slash sort of a complex pain dysregulation. And I think as soon as they see that and sort of be on your notes, they just disregard what you're saying, you know, like it's, oh yeah, but she's always in pain and that kind of thing. So it just wasn't taken seriously. During the prenatal with him, I remember you getting judgment pre, but the post was, wasn't as bad or at all. So was, was there also judgment for prenatal appointments as well? Yeah, so I don't think there was the same, actually. It's really weird. I felt like, actually, for me, the postnatal was worse than the prenatal with Rupert. I think in some ways, because I had another child, and that was down on my notes that I had another child, then there was that, oh, well, she's done it. You know, it it wasn't the same as it being a new thing that they hadn't really um, seen because they knew I had another child. I guess the thing was, it was just a lack of exposure to the fact that I just because I needed a wheelchair didn't mean that I couldn't do something you know like they just weren't used to it they had an incredible room on the labor ward that had like it was it was for disabled people and it had an incredible hoist it had everything but postnatal they had nothing and no like they didn't know what to do and as I say for me the bit that sort of broke me was when he was ready to be moved and I couldn't be with him and they wouldn't let me be with him, which I found like absolutely heart-wrenching and, and it, like it broke me. Yeah, so it was weird because in my pregnancy with Rupert, mentally, I was all right. I was okay. And, and I found I had a harder pregnancy, but mentally I was okay. Afterwards, I didn't have postnatal depression, but I think it would have been easy to have got to that point. Like just through 
fact I was still in hospital like I was in hospital for a week with him but I went to go home and then he became journalist and then we weren't allowed to leave because they said to me like if he got worse he would need the phototherapy but whatever they do so the ultrasound but he was just below that level but if I went home, they said it would be too much for me to come home and to go back again, which was really thoughtful because it would have been probably. But when you've got a child at home, like I just wanted to be at home. I didn't want to be where I was. Um, yeah. So it was, yeah, it was completely different. It was, it was a literally polar opposites. So as I say, with Felicity, prenatal was hard with people's sort of opinions and et cetera. Postnatal was fine. Rupert, prenatal, brilliant, postnatal, not great. But with the sort of the understanding, which is really weird as well, because you kind of expected if they were okay prenatal and think, well, yeah, she's got another child, then you wouldn't expect them to all be like, well, what's going on afterwards? But it wasn't them saying like, I couldn't do it, like I wasn't a good enough mum. It was more like them saying, we don't have the facilities for you. We're not able to manage this. So that was more of the issue. So it was almost like they were being overcautious because I would have been fine. I would have managed. <laughs> but it was just a lot of miscommunication and, yeah, just being, finding it, as I say, I found it really tough. And I remember with Felicity, you talked about getting services afterwards, like physical therapy and things like yeah. that. Did you need the same services this time and were you able to get them? So my SPD, which I had in the first pregnancy, like it actually can become worse with every pregnancy. It generally doesn't get better. So the second pregnancy, oh my God, it was so painful. So, so painful. I mean, they could feel my pelvis moving every time I moved. It would, they could feel all the joints going. So I had to have physio again, but I didn't have the same physio afterwards. I did have a bit not a huge amount and they saw me a few times and then that was it so in a way it's been more me having to do what I did the first time around but on my own and and to be honest I haven't really fully managed that so I find things quite difficult to do so yeah but I, I guess I had that knowledge from the first pregnancy to know what I had to do to get to my baseline and you mentioned this a little bit but was there anything that you did differently for finding things that worked or making adjustments with two versus one baby? Yeah, so um, as I say, for me, it was like the, I felt a bit disconnected at first. I think where everything had just, I just hadn't expected it to be as hard as it was going to be. I'd always thought, I don't know how you fit, like how you become a month two and have the same level of love you do but I just felt like I was watching the world continue but I was not quite there I did do some things differently so I didn't do like loads of classes with Rupert because I think like I do like one thing with him but it was more about connecting with people so I try to do that kind of thing and also I don't get to do the same sort of level of enjoyment that where I had, I obviously I enjoy it and I love it dearly and it feels 
incredible to be his mum and, and I love it now but he has had a lot of health issues he's been in and out of hospital all his life so it's very different to Felicity but he's just he so for example one time like he started going into hospital when he was like three weeks old and we have been so many times to a A&E which I know you call e- ER it's so hard um, because at the same time he goes into hospital and they won't let me stay with him because I would need a carer with me, someone to be with me. So I can't stay with him in the hospital. So my husband has to stay with him in hospital. But then you again, you're that hot trying to, you know, uh-huh. deal with that is a lot because again, it's just people aren't set up for disability and I don't know why no we're in the 2023 you know there should be more out there yeah but then I think it's really dependent on the hospital you're at and what there is well I appreciate again you coming on and sharing your stories and just being with us and being willing to share all that you have I really appreciate it thank you so much for having me on Thank you for listening and feel free to email me if you have any questions or would like to be featured on the podcast at disabledbirthstories at gmail.com.